cruising our way through hour number two of the Jake Feinberg show here on Power Talk 1210 KEVT Sour Rita Tucson. Thank you so much for making us part of your day today. All's fair when the colors are green and gray. You're not judged but included. You're seen for what you bring to the weight room with Dee Dee and JD and Maz Midorsky. My guest today was a perennial weight room activist. But he was a leader way before then as the son of a kosher butcher who could afford to send his three sons to camp under a Rhinecliffe moon. My guest was the eldest of the three brothers and the person who changed my outlook on Skatico for the last nine years of my career there. The more I think about it, it was my emergence into Jake Feinberg that was occurring only to be cultivated by my guest as my division leader. He had me doing jobs within activities. He allowed me to get comfortable with my voice reenacting the Rocky soundtrack as Jack Abramson played the part of Carl Weathers. He even ke- his even-keeled temperament lent itself to a ragtag but fiercely individualistic division. He found a way to put a roof over all of our heads and turn us into the 1C posse, where Sean Locke would come and blow bubbles in my face at 3 in the morning. We hoped he would never leave, but our summer was his final summer leaving a group to carry the upper hill while he headed off to Cornell. His brothers flourished in different ways. But again, we connect the lineage of life and blood. We are all different, yet the same. We are all free, yet entrapped in the idea that camp made us who we are today. David Peritsky, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. It's it's an honor to be here. uh, We... we messed up the timing so we're in the middle of an amusement park with the kids so i'm gonna hope i can hear you as well as i can well i i mean i don't want to take away from family time but if, if, are, you, are you are you cool i'm cool this is a, this is an honor and a privilege all right man well listen uh, let's just get right into it um can you talk about uh the first time that you experienced magic at camp scatico You know, it's, it's, I, I would say the first time I probably experienced it was the first 10 minutes I was at camp. Um, I was a, a homesick nine or nine year old about to turn 10 years old. And my parents had just dropped me off. And I was, a, I was in the sophomore division in bunk six. And at that time, a, a, a counselor who was in a different division, a guy named Robbie Scheinfeld, took me aside and, and, and brought me down to the softball field. And I'm not going to say I worked magic on the field because that just wasn't me at the time. Um, but just the way that the, the comfort and ease of the place uh, can, really, can really permeate so quickly. Um, I felt it in the first 10 minutes. And it's, it's not a constant, but it's there. It's, it's there in the air. What was the first year you were there? Uh, I was there in 1981. 1981 to your summer of 1991. So you were there for a full 10 years. What do you? What stands out to you uh, as a memory of? Uh, I mean, were you were you homesick? Did you have any struggles with campers in the bunk? What was the biggest adversity as a camper that you had to overcome, and how did you do that? You no, know, I, I I think this. I, I was a non-athlete growing up there's no question about it I, I didn't come into my own athletically until probably halfway through high school and I think ultimately that that helped me as a counselor and I think that allowed me to, to, to empathize with some of the kids who weren't at the top of the pyramid athletically um, at the same time it wasn't easy those first couple of summers uh, because sports camp pretty much were synonymous even in a place like Scatica which was much 
less focused on sports than, than some of its competitors or peers. That's right. Um, but, uh, no, it was, um, you know, for me, it was really trying to, trying to be a part of it and trying to fit in. Um, and at the same time, I have to say, it was, uh, uh, it, it taught me a lot of lessons those years. And you find, you connect with people. Um, at that point, I had a funny nickname that was beginning to take hold, and that was probably my way of capturing a little of the attention I wasn't capturing on the athletic field. But right. I think it all served a purpose down the road. You know, just going back for a minute, it was that um, Al the cause the uh, um, he's the one that mangled your name. I mean, can we get that on the record officially? On the record, well, as best <laughs> as I can remember, I, there was I, one of our counselors. Um, it was 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 doing a roll call, and this was about the second or third day of camp. And it was, and it was one of the counselors who really didn't have much to do, to do with our division and didn't know me, and all of a sudden mangled my name and started saying the word Bertitsky. Right. And to a bunch of ten-year-old kids or nine and ten-year-old kids, that sounded quite funny. <laughs> so that one thing led to another, and in the in the bunk there were a couple of my bunkmates, and they all decided that hey, wouldn't maybe we can shorten it uh, <laughs> to a four-letter word starting with T. Right. And the uh, and, and the upshot was, and I think it's a wonderful lesson to, to any kid, is that, you know, you, at first, um, I, I guess it was a, a bit of a novelty for me. Um, and I remember the very next day, Mike Midorsky was my college ball captain. Um, and I, he rattled off the names. And, again, I was this unknown new sophomore who was in his first college ball scenario. And I said, you know what? And he read off the names, and he said, Dave Koritsky. And I said, you know what, Maz, call me Tits. <laughs> and everybody looked at me, and, and so, you know, Mike Midorsky at that time was 15 years old, thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> so before, so he writes that down, that I'm playing second base on whatever sophomore team that he's on. And then, in fact, Mike handed in his sheet to then-athletic director Tommy Rosenberg, and Tommy looked at, at Maz and said, "Wait, what are you kidding? You're, 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 you're wh- why do you ha- why do you have the word tits written on the sheet? I need to know who's playing second base." And Maz looked at Tommy and said, "That's what this kid told me who he was." And wow. so uh, it, it it was born out of that. I think I realized that you know, for better or for worse, there was uh, it was one way to get some attention. Um, and again, attention can be a good thing; it can be a bad thing. But it. it um, it took off, obviously, in the land of nicknames in, in a weird way. It didn't seem so abnormal um, until we got out of camp or until visiting day. So I, I have to say it didn't phase me as much as it could have. Um, and perhaps, again, I would tell my 9- or 10-year-old self, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to be called, and, and, and maybe we can uh, maybe we can disown that. At the same time, Nothing sounded sweeter a few years later than getting named to be one of the color war captains and having that nickname where, you know, and I say this to all kids who maybe were on the wrong end of a, of the stick and socially is that you can, you can own that nickname. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it, it, so to me it represented sort of the, the positives and negatives of camp. Talking to Dave Peritsky here, who was uh, uh, one of the catalysts for, for my evolution at, at Camp Scatico. I, you know, as I've done more work, uh, uh, Dave, um, you know, I wanted you to compare and contrast the indigenous leaders uh, that 
that uh, when I say indigenous, I mean cats that that grew up in the system, the Fleischners, the Herzogs, or the 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 people that were there from so- year year one, as opposed to this this band of of mavericks. You mentioned Midorsky, but more specifically the Deutsch brothers, Goldner, because those guys came in at the end of the camp, their camping days with a completely different philosophy. How much did they affect uh, camp for camp in your mind? Well, I, I have to say I, I was very lucky in that I, I think myself and then my campers, and you included, Jake, were the beneficiary of both styles. Um, from that old guard, I think I, I really, there was a sense of tradition and a sense of what I, I still call in the professional world respect for the game that right. develops. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's CeeLo Green getting on, the Grammys and dressing like Elton John dressed on the Muppet shows in the 1970s doing his song. You know, anything that demonstrates a respect toward recent history, no matter what context that history is, I think is a wonderful gesture of respect. Mm. And, I, and I learned a lot of that from the old guard. Mm. Um, and Midorsky was maybe sort of the, 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 the sort of tail end of that. But I, I, as I said, both as a camper and a counselor, he had a tremendous influence on me and really acted as a, acted as a torchbearer. Um, on the other hand, uh, people like Danny Deutsch and Billy Goldner. I mean, uh, Didi was probably the single most creative counselor I've ever had, and you've all heard those stories about how we... we I, I was on that picnic bench when we were watching a fictional Mets game that only existed in the figment of Danny's imagination. Right. Uh, but we sat there for an hour and a half pretending that there was a game on, and he, as he was acting out the characters and the voices, and that was that was Didi in a nutshell, and the, the, the ability to create something from nothing and involve every kid. But what is not said about that story, and what should be said about Didi, is that he made sure to involve every kid, and kids even in the division who weren't as as inclined to be involved with the silly stuff, and even kids who might have had a harder time, and even kids who were much less athletically or socially inclined. And um, I, I think the sum total of all those guys is that they really, you know, they taught me that for any group, and whether it's camp or the workplace or a family, um, you really, you know, you want to reach out and meet people where they are, and then you can bring them to some amazing places together. Um, can you, could you give an, a, an, another example of, uh, I like your phrase, it's very Joe Girardi-esque, respect for the game. Can you talk about an example from one of the old guard about, um, I don't know the idea of just the inclusive nature of it, and the idea of saying. I mean, I, I think at the end of the at the end of the summer, the reason all the kids were crying or they didn't want to go home, or you're you're standing in a circle singing that song, is because of things like what you just said about Didi, including every single kid. And can you talk about another respect for the game example? Ah, oh, gosh. I mean, I would say anytime there was a. A tournament. Now, Scoutico is not known for its athletic dominance by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, as our division, I, I think our song went, we weren't too athletic except for flow. Right. Um, right. Uh, on the other hand, uh, what I all, uh, Scoutico always left it on the field. You really, once you cross those lines or cross those base paths, you, you gave it your all. You got a sense of perspective when we more often than not lost. On the other hand, it didn't make us try any less hard, and in some cases, we won. And I would say those those victories, whether it was, you know, Arnon Rubin in 1986 in my division, um, had the athletic 
pinnacle of his camp career by hitting a home run in color war slap ball. I promise you there are 12 other kids in that division who consider it to be their career highlight, mm-hmm. this kid's home run. Right. Or Steve Rittenberg hitting a double in a softball game. Or um, Jason Rizel's performance in the under-13 uh, softball team when he when he won it that year as as a pitcher or watching Stevie Ullman uh, slam dunk a basketball and you know and and I would say that even carried through to other camps. I mean you know we've had a lot of banter online lately about that famous picture from the Kenmont tournament when right. we were 15 years old and Johnny Deutsch and Ernie Walshin coached our team into an almost victory um, <laughs> and we even remember the kids in Kenmont and Wani who would get their names on that home run wall. And those kids all had older brothers and older cousins. And, you know, the sum total of that was you really became immersed in this culture that you wanted to not only benefit from but contribute to. And I think that kept you coming back year after year. You are waxing poetic in the amusement park. Not an easy feat for uh, Dave Peritsky today, but we love having him live on the on Power Talk 1210. Um, you know, I remember something from my camping career uh, in the summer that '91 that you uh, you had as us as a division leader. We were playing Kenmont in a hardball tournament, and uh, I pitched uh, the first I'd say five innings, and uh, it was a I was throwing a shutout, and uh, you know you took me out of the game and you brought in another guy, and we had, we had a pretty comfortable lead. And that that pitcher proceeded to like you know load the bases, no outs, and you brought me back in from right field. I finished the game, and you were like, "Yeah, let's the whole division." You're like, "Let's go jump in the water, and then we're going to the deli." That was the one of the. I mean, to me, that was one of the highlights of my camping career. At that point, I had thrown the shutout. Obviously, the deli was huge. That was on your watch, and I just wonder going into that summer. You know, or when you knew that you were assigned to us, what did you know about our division, and what were the kind of what were the kind of things you wanted to bring to us that summer? Well, I tell you, I, I you know, let's let's just make it clear for this radio audience: your 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 DJ grew up with a heck of an arm and a heck of a throwing <laughs> arm. So, yeah, that's right. A, that's right. In a division that wasn't as well resourced in that capacity, uh, having a having a dependable pitcher was a luxury. Uh, <laughs> so we were lucky to be able to have you, and, yeah. and I. I would like to say that that whole play was by design, but um, we probably uh, we no, needed was, you so was, much on the mound that yeah, no, anything was, we could do to give you 10 minutes of rest probably qualified as a genius managerial move. The, 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 um, the, the, lead was sh- the lead was shrinking, so you had to bring me back in because the other... We, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't have a deep bend, no, my friend. No. Um, but I will say that uh, I, I, had mi- I had skipped the two years prior. I, I, I had gone straight through from 1981 to 1988. And I was I was at home. I actually played a year of college football, and I was I was training at home. And I so I actually was home for two summers. I was working for my dad for one of the summers, driving a truck. Um, so, uh, but for me, I you know I, I looked at the the biological camp clock and realized that there really would only be one or two potential summers uh, to come back. You know, unless I was going to be in a profession that gave me summers off. And, and so between the, the idea of, of wanting to give it another shot, of wanting to have that ultimate um, camp job of being a division leader, um, and also wanting to reconnect with, with my Scatico friends, um, you know, I happily came back, and I had no preference. At that point, the, the kids I had known were, were aging out, so I didn't know any of the campers that well, just other than having hung out with you guys. And so they told me I had your group, and... 
you know, I remember you guys as, as juniors. You were uh, you were a fun group. I know um, uh, I, I know Craig Fitchelberg, who's a, a friend of mine, had his had his time with you guys, and I think Dee before that. And um, you know, I, a couple of you guys I remember as as little kids. And the wonderful thing about camp is that the big kids and the younger kids do fraternize quite a bit. Um, but no, I really went in with no pride and no prejudice. Um, and all I know is I had an outstanding group of co-counselors. We couldn't have been blessed more. Um, and we just had a good time. And, and it, was a, it was a quirky, fun, good-natured bunch of, of kids. And right. I think, you know, our only objective that summer was to really to bring the group together and to just have as much, you know, fun and, and, and movement as possible. Did you... Did, did you um... You know, similar to, uh, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, not, I'm not getting, not making the analogy to politics, but you look at like certain establishment uh, parties and they allow uh, certain people from the fringe to come in and, um, and, uh, and, and cause a ruckus. Uh, and and I, I mean, insofar as uh, guys like Wachtell, uh, cats that obviously had, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a certain wild streak to them. Did you play into that stuff? I mean, did you allow everybody to kind of, uh, you know, do their thing? Because th- th- we had a lot of personalities, and I remember there were some some issues with some intercamps too. But, but I mean, it seemed to me like you you were you were okay. There was a little bit of a wry smile on your face when that stuff was happening. Well, I I think listen with any group, and again, the lessons you learn from camp you can take into parenthood or, or the workplace or anywhere else, you want to let everybody be their best self. Um, and if you can capture that energy in a way that benefits the group, and I guess most important, as long as, as, long as people weren't being mean to one another. Uh, and I'm not saying we were successful 100% of the time, but that was, for the most part, that, that was what I remember from that summer, is that we, we learned to love our silliness and to love our energy. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, what, what you probably don't remember for that summer is we must have had a good half dozen or so counselor meetings in the mess hall. Uh, <laughs> we would stay behind after lunch right. because right. somebody, uh, you know, there was either a, whether it was an outburst or, or just a challenging dynamic, and, and we'd work together. And sometimes we were able to solve it ourselves, and sometimes we got some, some advice from our sage, Dave Fleischner, and, 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 and others who could really in and give their two cents and and uh and and and, you know looking back in retrospect those those brought us together as a staff in a way that we were able to really trust each other and never second guess one another um so it wasn't always easy but i have to tell you it was it was the most rewarding summer i've ever had at camp um and without being noble it was just a lot of fun you guys uh there were a lot of unique personalities but they're all fun and special in their own way there was not a single negative personality in the whole group we we really uh we 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 brought out the best in each other can you talk about uh, growing up with a, a dad as a kosher butcher well technically my grandfather was the kosher butcher <laughs> right. my dad no, at that right. point had taken the business to be a wholesale meat company but it was called peritsky's meat company and at the time we were growing up in in chappaqua new york which was not quite as, as established as it is now, but it, it was a quaint New York City suburb, and most dads, or I should say most working parents at that point, were, were professional in some way. And, my, and, you know, they didn't necessarily have the town uh, wholesale meat store, um, or they didn't have their name driving through town on meat trucks. Um, 
So we certainly heard all the jokes about Peritsky's meat, and, 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 and it wasn't until we got older that I think we took an enormous amount of pride in that. Um, when you're younger, you know, I always say when my own daughter grows, is growing up, you know, when you're younger, you, you do your best to fit in, and when you're older, you do your best to stand out. Um, and I think I, you know, you cover both of those. But um, I think it allowed us to grow up in a town, in a place like Westchester County, and, and understand that on one hand, we we're very fortunate and blessed to have great schools, great towns, uh, well-resourced communities. On the other hand, you know, every dollar that our family earned came by way of, you know, selling a cut of meat, and, and that doesn't come easily. And I, and I think it, it, it brought us up in a very grounded way. Um, I remember driving, uh, I remember on your show, Mike Medorsky talked about how my dad's car used to smell of meat. Um, right, right. And, uh, and I do remember shocking him and his then-girlfriend, Elisa, uh, <laughs> when I picked him up one, one, uh, one time in the city. Um, but to me, that, that smell was just, you know, years of childhood where, you know, my dad used to uh, drive us down to 14th Street when it was an actual meat market before the art galleries came. And, wow. and, uh, and we used to go there at 5, 6 in the morning and kibitz with some of the, the folks that, that um, essentially ran the centralized market. Um, and that was, you know, that was his life, and, and we, we had small tastes of it growing up. Um, but that was important, and I, I, I wouldn't give that up for a second. You know, just just going back for a minute, you know, you had many meetings. I remember as a division, uh, Hutch, you know, other cats, we would look at each other. We knew that the staff was 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 having a meeting with Dave. If I was a DL and running into problems, I would feel, I'm not going to say I would feel like my job was in jeopardy, but how did Dave nuance it? I mean, not like you were really that concerned. I mean, you were coming back and obviously taking the role of a, of a quirky and, and interesting division. But how did it come across that you wanted to walk out of those meetings with resiliency and problem solving? And Dave didn't—he uh, wasn't—he wasn't—he um, he didn't come down hard on you. How did he handle that? Uh, I think we took it for granted that how supportive of a staff environment Scatico is and was. Um, I, that was never even an issue. Right. Um, right. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we didn't take our job seriously. Um, but Dave was there to, you know, as the old expression goes, give us enough rope to hang ourselves. I mean, he gave us a, an enormous amount of rope. Yeah. But he was also there with, with, with you know, as, as giving us rungs in the ladder to, to step onto. I mean, he, um, nothing ever came but the occasional doses of wisdom or support. And, and every once in a while, he would he would let us vent. Um, but it really, uh, I, I think the overall environment was, you know, it's, there's no such thing as one group in camp. It was it was an entire community, and we were one component of it. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I, I, again, these are lessons you apply well beyond the borders of camp, where uh, you want somebody to succeed. You provide them with a supportive environment. It doesn't mean that Dave was soft. I mean, he there were some very firm values uh, that, that Scatico instilled in its staff and its campers. Uh, you know, I'll never litter again. Um, right. You know, you, when right. when you spend five minutes with Dave Fleischner, you will you will learn now what what an absolute sin it is to discard a piece of garbage where it's not supposed to go. Uh, you know, my my daughter still <laughs> knows where that comes from, um, and so I, I and, and I think the same thing with kids too. I mean, I, I think if as long as kids are treated with respect and with support, uh, the camp will be supportive of the staff's efforts to 
shape that respect and support. Already a profound comment from a Cornell graduate, David Pritzky. When you're young, you try to fit in. When you're old, you try to stand out. I don't know. Really, just the your father's um, <clears throat> uh, business. Did did he have a deli, or it was just a wholesale meat company? No, it was a uh, it, it was a wholesale meat company. Uh, well, meat and food service company. We supplied uh, we we supplied restaurants and country clubs. I right. Mean, so, it was, but it wasn't like the I... back door of every restaurant in Westchester. Right. It was so, but I mean, it wasn't like Jake Feinberg would pull in and I could get a, a cup of matzo ball soup and a pastrami sandwich at the. At, there was no deli. There was no restaurant to sit down. I just want to be no, clear. No, 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 no. There was no Jake Feinberg might come in on a Saturday morning <laughs> and pick up a case of hamburgers because. <laughs> right. it's uh, you know, be, 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 because he felt like it, but not not as a way of it. It, it wasn't a retail outlet. It was it was a, a, in this day and age, it would be called a business to business company. Um, uh, Dave, can you talk about a transcendent musical experience that you had, either with camp people outside of camp? Uh, but uh, how much did camp affect your musical tastes? I think music was a backbone of camp throughout probably the one the one common denominator of, of every summer and i would say starting from our infamous joe jackson medley that mitch mandel who was our division leader in 1981 wow uh our, our dl decided at that point that the sophomores would win the thing <laughs> hands down and the way to do that was that by the second week of camp we were we were starting sing practice not only were we starting sing practice we didn't sing a song our, our our original song was a four-song Joe Jackson medley. Wow. Um, and you would recognize all four songs. Therefore, it was more popular songs. And it was an entire medley that, again, the sophomores at that point were eight, nine, and ten years old. Um, and we remembered it, and we practiced, and we practiced, and we practiced. Um, I don't think I ever listened to a Joe Jackson song for about ten years after that <laughs> because uh, at a certain way of rebelling. Right, um, right. But I have to say the the thread of music that started then and then the other song we sang was neil diamond's america um in, in to uh to the words of scatico um you know we come into camp scatico uh being played at that time on the only permanent musical instrument in camp which was a, a plug-in electric piano um oh my god you know up to the then chum brothers band and not the the, the old chum brothers which was larry hamburg dave fleischner and joe hackett playing summertime blues um, oh, wow. and real, the Who's version of Summertime Blues and really get having Larry Hamburg come in with those low-pitched vocals or having Jeff Arrington come and um, dress up as Lola uh, acting out the song under Hillel Atali's group. Um, and it goes on and on. We watched Live Aid. Uh, Mike Midorsky should remember this. Uh, he was our, our counselor at the time. He was the ADL, not the DL, in 1985 when... One of the kids, Scott Goldberg, in our bunk, had brought up a small black and white TV, which was confiscated on the first day of camp, or I think he was mandated to put yeah, in his trunk. Absolutely. But everybody collectively winked and smiled and let him drag it out. And so we had this black and white TV in the bunk uh, playing the Led Zeppelin Live Aid set. And it was as if Zeppelin had come to Elizaville that day. I, I could not imagine a more intimate concert experience then 20 of us all piled on top of three bunk, three camp beds that were all lodged together with Mike Midorsky on top of this pyramid of 12 year olds <laughs> watching this concert. Um, it was a, an, I mean, it was just a, a profound experience and on and on and on. 
Um, in in a minute, can you talk about uh, your daughter? Has she ever walked through the gates of Scatico? So my, I've had the uh, the wonderful fortune of raising a, a daughter. My my wife passed away ten years ago, so I've been raising her on my own. Um, I brought her to camp, um, and she actually uh, she was there this summer. Uh, she's a bit of a homebody in that she um, she she wasn't able to get through a whole summer at camp. It's something we may do again in the future. Um, so I, I've actually had the chance to reconnect with with camp. Um, and she's had the chance, and, 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 and the bond with her, who would generally be the type of kid to maybe look at a, a shorter camp experience, uh, she wanted Scatico, and for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about today, for a lot of what it meant to her dad and her uncles. And, you know, again, we'll see how it plays out. Sometimes it carries from generation to generation, and other times you take the stories, but the camp experience might be different. Well, Tits, i got to tell you, um, you were... Uh the most influential cat uh, in my camping career. Uh, you you made me feel like a, uh, an, an individual, and uh, and uh, part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today is because of you, man. So much love to you and your family, and uh, I hope to see you in person real soon. Jake, it's been an honor. I, I've, I've loved watching and witnessing your success, and uh, and you really, that, that summer was just as indelible for us as counselors, and for whatever reason, you know, when the magic happens, it happens all around, so. Cheers. Thanks so much, and yeah. good luck to you. Cheers, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Take all right, care, man. Jake. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. We'll see you all again next week. Take care. Thanks to Jackson. Later. BT Sawita Tucson. Power Talk 1210. Broadcasting live from the Tucson Original Studios. Tucson Originals. Local dining at its best. Fox Sports Trending now. We had a shootout in Major League Baseball earlier this afternoon in Toronto as one of the Royals' newcomers got the scoring started early. A swing and a drive to left field and deep. That's a way back and it is gone!